0: Good morning. I feel invigorated after that rousing prelude. Welcome to First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. Uh, Today is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, and we are continuing with our Wesleyan theme. So we have Wesley hymns and favorite Wesley scriptures and Wesley prayers and I'll be sharing my top five of ten reasons why I am a United Methodist as my sermon today. I encourage you to be thinking about that as well, uh, the top five reasons you are a United Methodist. Let us begin this morning with our call to worship, a prayer of John Wesley. Will you stand as we begin our time of praising God O Lord, may nothing dwell in my soul, but your pure love alone, till my every thought, word, and act be love. Yes, Lord, may your love possess me whole. Amen. Our opening hymn is Jesus, Thy Boundless Love to Me, found in your red hymnals on page 183. unite our hearts and our voices in our opening prayer John Wesley's morning prayer oh that we could begin this day in devout meditations in joy unspeakable and in blessing and praising thee who has given us such good hope and everlasting consolation lift up our minds above all these little things below which are apt to distract our thoughts And keep them above till our hearts are fully bent to seek thee every day in the way wherein Jesus hath gone before us. Amen. This morning we have a very special children's sermon and get to welcome our awesome Auntie Jill. Thank you, Jill.
1: Yes. Well, g- good morning everyone. Um, in the spirit of the way that you just sang that opening hymn, I think that Elizabeth was, um, had the spirit move her to ask me to read, um, the directions for singing that, uh, John Wesley himself wrote that is included in our hymnals on, um, the front pages of Roman numeral page number seven. So while you're finding that, so you can read it along with me like we do in, you know, our Bibles, I want to hear the rustling of those pages while you find that now. I want to also just let you know, give you a little bit of background um, to John and Charles Wesley and their hymnody. As you saw in our opening hymn, you were reading the words out of the hymnal. And um, that is the way the original hymn books were published organized and published. They were seen more as prayer books and so that you could often turn to the text, which is why I'm a singer. I love text. It speaks to me. And the, the text would often uh, be there to leave it as this, that little baby right there. <laughs> Sing it on out, honey. that the, the text was there to inspire you and to cause you in singing to move to a state of prayer. Then along as everything evolves, right, eventually books were published with, the hymn books were published with music, and the hymn that the choir is going to be singing today for our special music is found in our hymnal. It's hymn number 96, Praise the Lord Who Reigns Above, and again, it is a Charles Wesley text. But as you can notice at the bottom of that page, the music is from a collection called the Foundry Collection. And Elizabeth will be talking in her sermon today about John Wesley and his walk to to becoming a Christian. But John Wesley came to the United States early, really uh, right after, well, right before we became the United States, and he published this Foundry Collection. Um, as an Anglican hymnal, hymnal published in Colonial America for use in private and public worship. It was compiled what was then known as Charlestown. We know it as Charleston now in South Carolina, by this missionary priest, John Wesley, for use in his ministry to English settlers and others who attended his religious societies in Savannah and Frederica when he was leading um, the Methodists, as we know it now, in the Georgia colony. So this music that the choir is singing dates back to that time today, So sometimes I think it's good to give you that bit of historical context because we are all connected to the past, present, and future. Jesus said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The same is is real in music and text that we sing in our hymnals. So with that, I want to continue to inspire you because the reason why I love serving this congregation is you're good old southern people and you know how to sing. So let's also inspire ourselves with the directions from Charles West or John Wesley about singing. Number one, learn these tunes before you learn any others. Afterwards, you may learn as many as you please. Number two, sing them exactly as they are printed here without altering or mending them all. Well, I confess I am a sinner. I like to alter and mend and put in new and wonderful harmonies, right? But if you've learned to sing them otherwise, (laughs) unlearn it as soon as you can. Number three, sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, then take it up. And you will find a blessing. Number four. This is my favorite. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead (laughs) or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of its being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan Which is why I remind people that in the Psalms, it says, make a joyful noise. Those who can sing beautifully do, but if you got to shout and make a noise, make a noise unto the Lord. But then he says, number five, sing modestly. The man was conflicted. Do not bawl as to be heard above or distinct from the rest of the congregation that you may not destroy the harmony but strive to unite your voices together so as to make one clear melodious sound. Number six, this is also one of my favorites, sing in time. Whatever time is sung, be sure to keep with it. Do not run before it nor stay behind it, but attend close to the leading voices and move therewith as exactly as you can. And take care not to sing too slowly. This drawling way naturally stills on all who are lazy. And it is high time to drive that laziness out from us. And sing all of our tunes just as quick as we did at the first. (laughs) And finally, number seven. But above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word that you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing, and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such as the Lord will approve here, and reward you when he cometh in the clouds of heaven. And as you can see, this was included in a later edition of John Wesley's Select Hymns of 1761. So, let us sing lustfully today. I am singing lustfully because my husband's treatment ends this Thursday. Amen. And, yes, he, and let me tell you, his MRI follow-up is on September the 9th. So I want you all to put that down. I want you to be praying because I have claimed that that scan is going to be clean. And you will not want to miss worship on September the 12th. Because I will be singing lustfully and shouting it out with all of you in praise of what the Lord is doing in my husband's life. So again, I want to thank you, as I have so many times from here, for your prayers, for your support, for your cards, for your gifts, for your food, for your love. It is such a blessing to serve you and be a part of this congregation with you, and I know our better days are ahead. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Joe. As we prepare to receive God's holy word, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may your Holy Spirit give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, we may know the hope to which Christ has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance among us, and the greatness of his power for those who believe. Amen. Our scripture lessons this morning are favorites of John Wesley and texts to which he often referred. Our first text, our New Testament text, is one verse long. It is found in 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. We love because he first loved us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 12th chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the 28th verse. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself." This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. I love that conversation ender. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. Well, this morning I am again asking for a point of personal privilege to share, uh, continue sharing my top ten reasons why I am a United Methodist. Last week I did uh, six through ten, and today I am going to share uh, one through five. So number five is, I am a United Methodist because United Methodists are generous people. Everything that I've learned about stewardship, I have learned from parishioners. Not seminary, not pastors, but parishioners who read the same scripture that I do and live out their stewardship of all that God has entrusted to them in such wonderful ways that it has made a mark on my life. When I... um, when I was serving at First United Methodist Church in Charlottesville, the second church that I served, there was a woman in my congregation named Margaret who uh, told me a story about something that happened early in her, in her married life. Uh, she and her husband had two small boys. She was working very, very, very part-time. He was in the army, and money was tight. And at that time, they had a district superintendent uh, in Charlottesville who uh, was very unusual. Uh, this was a district superintendent who, in, in one of his appointments, was actually the mayor of the town as well as the pastor. And um, as a district superintendent, he used to like to come around to churches and give people the opportunity to do things that were quite challenging. If he called you and said... I'd I'd like to give you the opportunity to serve on the district finance committee or whatever. You knew it was going to be a lot of work, but that's how we always couched it. Um, I'm going to give you the opportunity. Well, at that time in Charlottesville, they were just building a huge mall, and there was a parcel of land next to the mall and no United Methodist Church anywhere near it. So uh, the The district trustees wanted to buy that parcel of land and build a church on it called Aldersgate United Methodist Church. And so the district superintendent came around to all the churches, including First Church, and he said this, I just want to give you an opportunity. I only want to talk this morning to people who tithe. I only want to talk this morning to people who already give 10% of their income and I just want to offer you the opportunity to give 20% of your income for the next three years so that we can build Aldersgate United Methodist Church. And Margaret leaned over and said to her husband, we're doing that. And he leaned back and he said, no, we are not. Um, But he said it in a way that is both unprintable and unspeakable, so I can't actually quote him. Um, um, and she said, "Yes, we are. I don't care if we have to eat beans and franks for for three years. We are doing this, and they did. Um, and it made a it made a mark on their their early life together. Um, I I just learned a story from someone in our congregation th- this week." Um, Early in in their marriage, uh, the 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 wife said to her husband, "We are going to tithe. We are going to give ten percent of our income to Christ through the church." And sh- and he said, "We are not. That will put us in the poorhouse. Are you going to put us in the poorhouse?" And she said, "I guess I guess he he referred to the poorhouse, and he kind of meant homeless homeless shelter." So she said. Well, I'll tell you what, let's go down there. Let's go down to the local homeless shelter and interview everybody and see how many of them are there because they gave 10% of their income to the church. I don't know if they actually went, but the point was made, and he said from that point on, they, they did tithe, and, um, and it was because she just kind of brought them up short with that particular statement and led him um, to really think about giving in a different way. When I was serving uh, in a small town church, there were mudslides in Madison County. We had an extreme amount of rain. We had 10 and a half inches of rain in our small town and I think Madison got it worse and, and those hillsides just slid. Uh, Some people ended up with about four feet of mud in their houses, and it was just a a big mess. The United Methodist Church, of course, sent uh, hygiene kits and sent relief people to come in through UMCOR, uh, and all of the churches were asked to take up a second offering the weekend after this disastrous rain. And um, our congregation, our little congregation, everyone came kind of not ready for a second offering, but we took it up anyway and raised between three and $400. And one of the children in our congregation, who was nine years old, nine years old at the time, was just really disturbed that, that her close neighbors, that our close neighbors, were, were so devastated by the flooding and the mudslides. And so she had a booth at the at the carnival that that summer, and one of those duck pond booths where you turn over the duck and and you win a prize. Um, and then she had several camps for neighborhood children, and she just did a bunch of things like that: lemonade stands, bake sales. She did everything she could think of that summer and raised twelve hundred dollars. She was nine years old, and she raised twelve hundred dollars, and she gave it to the district superintendent. So. That when he went visiting up in Madison County, which was part of the district, he would be able to respond as people shared their stories uh, by giving them some of the money that, that Amy had raised. In another church I served, uh, one, of the, one of the congregants was a, a social worker who had a new person on her caseload, went to visit her, hadn't met her before. I cannot remember... Exactly what was going on with her? She may have been uh, a diabetic as well, and she did not um, she did not have running water in her kitchen. She did not have a refrigerator, uh, so she couldn't safely keep what she needed in order to safely treat her condition. And so uh, Carolyn raised seventeen thousand dollars to get her a new refrigerator and running water in her kitchen. So that she could be safe, I mean way, 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 way above and beyond um, her responsibilities as a social worker, but just a heart of generosity that led her uh, to an avenue of service that she felt strongly about in when we had Hurricane Katrina, Time magazine put a list of the top 10 organizations uh, that gave money for Katrina. And the United Methodist Church was in the top 10 and the only church in the top 10. Uh, United Methodist gave $62 million for relief efforts. So United Methodists are generous people, and it shows. And over the years uh, that I have been in ministry, I have been very touched by how generous people have been. Um, It's just something I think about a a lot. Um, Every time I come into a beautiful church sanctuary like this one, I mean, wow, this is a beautiful sanctuary. And I just have to think of everybody who sacrificed to make the building of this entire facility, this sanctuary and our education building and our chapel and our, our warehouse uh, where we have our Uptown Ministry Center, all the sacrifice that went into making it possible for us to easily gather to worship God and what it means to not only uh, honor that sacrifice and that generosity but to honor that generosity and sacrifice because it was important to them that succeeding generations be able to praise and worship God. I feel that in my bones every time I walk in here. Number four, I am a United Methodist because United Methodists are known for mission, We all want our lives to mean something. We all want to give our lives for something that will outlive us. We all want to leave a legacy. United Methodist mission is one of the ways that that we do that. The United Methodist Church is, is, as a denomination, so knit together for the purposes of mission that it is astounding. Uh, The things that we do in mission, one church could never do. But when we come together, we're able to do huge things, build economies of scale, develop partnerships. And uh, currently we have 80 hospitals in the United Methodist, I mean, in the United States. We have childcare centers, we have universities, we have nursing and retirement homes. And then abroad in 163 countries, we have hospitals, we have schools and clinics and universities and well water projects and missionaries and relief efforts. In 163 countries, that's astonishing. If we see something on the news and we think, I sure hope somebody is helping those people, we can almost always be assured that the United Methodist Church is there in mission already. A a most recent example, do you remember the collapse of the the condo in Florida that uh, killed many people and displaced many people? The United Methodist Church was right there offering counseling, offering housing services, and will be there until the job is done. We have the reputation of coming in first and staying until the job is done, um, even if that is years and years out. One of the um, most interesting times I had in ministry was when I, I did a wedding for two people who were in the State Department. And I was pretty intimidated because everybody who was a guest at that wedding was from the State Department. And so at the rehearsal dinner and at the reception, I was really nervous as I anticipated being with them about you know what on earth was I gonna talk about. But interestingly, they all wanted to talk with me. They all wanted to tell me about United Methodist missionary mission and relief efforts that they had seen in play all over the world. It was so enheartening. I wish I could have I wish I could have filmed them and saved that forever. It was just, it was so moving. In the United Methodist Church, we have apportionments. And some people hear that word and they just think it's like taxes, but it isn't. Apportionments help us to give our money. If we were to just give our money and designate it, well, I wanted to go exactly for this. We wouldn't be letting go of it. We wouldn't be be trusting God with it. Um, When we give to our apportionments, we don't actually have a lot of control about how those monies are spent. We just know that the United Methodist Church is doing huge and amazing things throughout the world. And um, because the United Methodist Church does not spend money on promotion, because it spends all of that money on what it is supposed to be spent on, it really is up to us to stay, stay abreast of what is what, what that money is being used for. And two ways that you can do that, the easiest ways, are to uh, log on to two different websites, umcnow.org, excuse me, .com, and umc.com. And those have just wonderful articles, about what the United Methodist Church is doing here and abroad. Also, once a year in March, we take up an offering called One Great Hour of Sharing. That offering pays all of the overhead for our relief efforts. So if there were a tornado someplace in Virginia and there was an ask for for mission funds to help rebuild, 100% of the funds that came in would go for rebuilding. It would go for actually helping people because the overhead of all of our relief efforts is paid for by that denomination-wide offering in March. My number three reason for being a United Methodist is because we believe that prayer changes things. Someone says that prayer is the world's greatest wireless connection. It is. When John Wesley would have a really difficult day ahead, a day where he was going to be traveling a long way, a day when his schedule was packed, instead of giving up his devotional time so that he could get a few more hours of sleep, he would get up at four o'clock in the morning to fortify himself with conversation with God. There were things that were indispensable, and his prayer time was one of those things. Prayer is important because prayer puts hope into play. Prayer centers us in our lives, and prayer centers our corporate life together. Our prayer group here at First Church is the center of our corporate life. Thank you, Marion for sending out your, your prayer list that is so thoughtfully and beautifully done every week with evocative questions that, that lead us to deepen our prayer life. I understand that prayer can be very difficult. That's always been the case. If that weren't the case, Jesus wouldn't have given his disciples and then us a prayer that is meant to be prayed daily. We need to keep at it. Sometimes our minds wander Sometimes it's hard for us to move our focus from the circumstances of our lives to God, but that's why Jesus gave us this prayer to help us keep at it. It is a discipline. There are lots of different kinds of prayer. Um, In addition to prayers of thanksgiving and intercession and confession and praise, uh, there are other ways of praying There are guided meditations, there are centering prayers, there are breath prayers. So if one form of prayer doesn't speak to you, please try some other ones because that deepening conversation with God is utterly transforming and completely central to our lives individually and corporately. Reason number two why I'm a United Methodist Because heart matters. Now, John Wesley grew up in a very strict household with parents who were quirky, to say the least. Um, His mother was an extremely intelligent, educated woman who spoke multiple languages. His father was an Anglican priest, and he was obnoxious. His name was Samuel. Um, He was Well, I'll give you some examples of how obnoxious his father was. Um, The Anglican Church, the Church of England, was a state church. And so if people did not tithe, if they did not give 10% of their incomes, their priest could have them thrown in debtor's prison. Well, guess how many priests did that? One, Samuel Wesley. So he was not He was not beloved in the congregations he served. And in fact, on three different occasions, three different rectories were burned to the ground by his parishioners. And um, one time, John Wesley was just a tiny, tiny toddler, and he was pulled from an upper story window just before the whole house came down. And so his mother said he was a brand plucked, from the burning and she thought that god had special purposes for her his life and gave him extra attention in the family samuel wesley also had strong political beliefs and uh that's nothing new we i know experience some uh sense of that kind of polarity in our society too but in john wesley's i mean in samuel wesley's day he he would pray for the king at grace every evening over dinner. And one night he he said a prayer and included prayers for King George. And uh, Susanna did not share his political opinions. And so she didn't say anything. She just refused to say amen. She did not add an amen to his grace. And he was so incensed that he left, he left the house for two years, two years, because she didn't say amen Um, Eventually, he came back, and nine months after that, along came John. Well, so you can imagine that this is John's upbringing, very, very regimented. And and then John John goes off to Oxford, where he becomes a Latin scholar and also a curate in the Anglican church to uh, pay his way uh, through, and uh, he forms the Oxford Holy Club with his brother and some others and and they really seek to live out their faith to visit in prison and serve the poor but everything was in his head everything was in a he believed belief was a scent Uh, and so he just thought he knew more than anybody else and with that knowledge once he finished up at oxford he became a missionary and he went to georgia came to georgia here in the in the States, and his intent was to, as someone who knew better than everybody else, convert the savages. That's what he said he was gonna do. He's gonna convert the savages. And and he got here and he didn't find any savages. He found pioneer people working hard to make a living off of the land, and um, got himself into some trouble. He fell in love with a woman named Sophia Hopke. He was her Latin tutor and Uh, He would not commit to her, so she ends up uh, marrying a lawyer. And after she gets married and comes back from her honeymoon, she and her husband come up to receive communion, and John Wesley will not serve them. So, as I said, her husband was a lawyer who didn't take kindly to that. And so suddenly John found himself under a 10 or 11-count indictment and decides that it's better to leave town than, than face the judge. So, he, uh, he leaves town, and on his way back to England, he's on a boat where there's a terrible storm. And in the, the belly of the boat, there's a group of Moravi- Moravians, about 30 of them, who uh, are singing and praying and are just completely unperturbed, undisturbed by the storm. And he realizes that Uh, He he is living his, his faith in his head and not in his heart because he does not have that kind of assurance that whether he lives or whether he dies, his life is in God's hands. And he really, really wants that. He really wants heart religion. He really wants that kind of assurance. And he doesn't know where to get it. So when he gets back to England safely, he goes to visit the Moravians. He goes to visit uh, a number of different different, uh, faithful people, and he is on Aldersgate Street, and someone at a Bible study is reading Luther's preface to the book of Romans, and suddenly he just has this, this overwhelming sense that his heart has been strangely warmed, and he realizes that that's that's what has been missing. Before that, he said, I was an almost Christian who followed all the rules. After that, he had a, a head-to-heart journey that filled his life in a new way, and he wanted to share that passionately with other people. Um, at, at one of the Wesley Foundations in our conference, on the, on the side of the, the building, it says, let us unite the two so long divided Knowledge and vital piety. That was important to John Wesley, not that we discount our intellect, but that we take our intellect seriously and beside it uh, recognize uh, vital piety, recognize our faith and the ability to put all that we know and all that we are in service to God. And finally, my first, my number one reason I'm a United Methodist is because theology the way that John Wesley did theology, is meant to be lived. John Wesley called theology practical divinity. Wesley Wesley believed that we were saved by grace and that we were called to do good works, not to earn God's grace, but to say thank you to God as we move toward Christian maturity. He firmly believed that theology wasn't something just in your head but also how to live your life in Christ and he was very disturbed that people would come to church on Sunday and act piously and, and 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 you know speak as if the intention of their lives was was faith and then the next day and the day after that and the day after that go back to home back to back to work and in no way act like a Christian. So he started groups called the Societies and they were subdivided into groups called bands and classes. And those Societies met every single day and people were supposed to be held accountable in those groups to live out their faith, to work out their salvation, he said, in fear and trembling, but to be intentional every single day about how they lived their faith. And John Wesley never meant to form a new denomination, but the societies became such a powerful way of of people living their faith that it became unavoidable. Um, Eventually he had to form a a new denomination and, um, and create leaders for that denomination, but it wasn't his intent, his intent was just to have people live their theology every single day of their lives in an intentional way. Now, in closing, I, um, I wanted to just talk briefly about ministry. When one is in ordained ministry, in, in some denominations, ordination is, uh, is sacrament. In our denomination, we have two sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion. And we believe that ordination is a way that some people live out their baptisms. So, it is uh, connected to that sacrament and not a sacrament in and of itself. There are days when uh, ministry is, you know, meetings and paperwork. And there are days when ministry takes me to places that I um, probably wouldn't want to go. I remember when I was 30... Uh, I was talking with friends with whom I graduated from, from university with, and, and, um, and they were telling me, they were like, I've never been to a funeral, I've never been to a nursing home, I, I've, never, I've never seen anyone die, I've never met anybody with AIDS, I've never been to a prison. And I thought, I'm the oldest 30-year-old in the world, because that has been uh, the substance of my week. Um, But it's a privilege, and I know that. I know that I am invited to be with people at extremely intimate times in their lives. I am able to be with people uh, in times of birth and sometimes before. Uh, I got to go with one of my parishioners to her sonogram to see her twins before they came into the world, and then and then I was able to baptize them, which was such a blessing. I'm with people at the beginning of their marriages, sometimes, sadly, also at the end. I am with people at times of illness, with people at times of death. I've had scary times in emergency rooms and grace-filled times like baptisms and, and offering the elements of communion, anniversary celebrations table fellowship, home blessings, animal blessings, um, and it's sometimes sad, and it's sometimes joyful, but it's always a privilege, always a privilege. Um, I I shared with Jill that um, one of the things that I do when I drive home from from seeing my dad each week is I I have blessing time, and I spend five hours blessing everyone I can think of. I start with my family, people who are alive and people who have, who have gone on before into the Church Eternal, and I think about their lives, and I think of how they have blessed my life, and, and, and I, I say a prayer of blessing for them, and, and then I move on to my circle of friends, and and then I start with my first church, and then my second, then my third, then my fourth, and I just, I think of every single person I can think of, every face, every name, every life story, and I ask God's blessing on them, very specifically, uh, knowing what I know about them, and knowing what I hope for them, want for them, and... Um, and, and I just think everyone here, everyone in every church I've ever served um, is, is a blessing, is a blessing to me, or I see them blessing other people. And it's such an extraordinary thing to be able to say. And so I really want to say that I love being your pastor. I love being in ministry, and I am grateful for 33 years Uh, in serving in this profession. I give thanks to God. Amen. Let us pray. Loving and eternal God, we give you thanks for the rich blessings that you bestow upon us, even in difficult times, because even in difficult times, we know that you walk beside us and that you are as near to us as our own breath. Sometimes we have to wrestle with you to find the blessing, but it is always there, and we are grateful. We are so grateful as we gather today. We're grateful for the celebrations of our life together. We are grateful for the 60th wedding anniversary of Ed and Margaret Dietrich, and we wish them great happiness as uh, in many more years ahead. We give you thanks for Jake completing his treatment this week and for how well he is doing And we give you thanks for Jill and for all who have surrounded Jake with such wonderful and tender love and prayer and care. We pray for Kelly Wilson and the Wilson family as they prepare to receive Gunner this week. We pray for a safe delivery and we just thank you for all of the possibility and joy that this nativity brings. We thank you for our family of faith, where we come together and know that we will be loved and supported, where we will be forgiven, where we will learn together and laugh together and cry together, and where we will always know we belong. We are deeply fortunate, and we live out of that sense of blessing. All of these things we pray in your holy name, Lord, now as you taught us. Let us return thanks to God with our gifts of tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Loving God, it is a joy to bring our gifts before you. They are a portion of what you have entrusted to us. And now we entrust them back to you for the upbuilding of your kingdom. Keep us faithful to one another and to you. As we seek to use them and all of the gifts that we have in your service. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. him is maker in whom we live found in your hymnals on page 88. addiction this afternoon, I would like to have a moment of prayer for the Wilson family as they prepare for Gunner's birth. Let us pray. Loving and eternal God, we thank you for the wonderful blessings of birth. And we pray for for Kelly as she uh, prepares to give birth to Gunner. And we just pray for a, a safe delivery as The Wilson family moves from being a family of four to a family of five. We are grateful for the loving family that he is being born into, and we are grateful that our community of faith will be enlarged as well. May we surround and support them with love and possibility and strength as we look forward to a wonderful future and a wonderful wonderful family full of love sharing that love in a way that is deeper and broader than even before all these things we ask in christ's name amen we are having a baby shower and reception for the wilson family after the worship service in this breezeway which my brother says we have to call a solarium because of the beautiful uh, flowers and Um, So I hope that you will stop by after worship to wish them uh, the very best uh, at this wonderful and miraculous time in their lives. And now may we go forth in faith to love and to serve God and our neighbor in all that we do. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon us now and always. Amen.